0: Um, I guess I guess we can get started. Um, and um, so so why don't why don't we get started? Um, so today is Friday, December first, uh, two thousand seventeen, and this is the Fiction Old and New Book Group. Tonight we're very privileged to have author David Fauchet join us to discuss his book Across Two Novembers, A Year in the Life of a Blind Bibliophile. Um, usually what I do at the, at the start of each book discussion is I, I try to give some biographical information about the author. But since we all know David, I thought instead um, I would just read um, an answer to a question that David gave in a recent interview. Um, so it will just give you a little bit more flavor about, about David. And after I read this, um, we'll, we're just going to open up the discussion um you know to everybody so please feel free to make a comment or ask David a question um, and the only thing I would say is if, you, if you've if you made a comment or asked a question you know try to wait a few more minutes to allow everybody else to have a chance to say something before you hit the microphone uh, before you hit the control key um, and the other thing is what you know this, this format will be a little bit different usually we all kind of line up with the control key and one person talks after another but because we want David to be able to respond after someone um, asks David a question or makes a comment, then we'll we'll all pause and we'll let David have a chance to to respond, and then the next person can can make their comment. So, anyway, this is something that David uh, recently wrote. He said, "You ask what makes me tick? I'd have to say books, books, and more books. Let me explain." Braille and recorded books take me places and show me the things I would otherwise never get to experience. They see for me by their descriptions, their vivid word pictures, and lyrical prose. They befriend me when I'm lonely, educate me when I'm curious, and amuse me when I'm in a blue mood. I have always known that I could pick up a book and for a while be in a better or at least a different place. Books don't judge, ignore, or marginalize us. I, I really thought that was actually just wonderful and it's exactly the same way that I feel about books Um, so I'm going to let up on the control key and why don't we all get the discussion started
1: well this is Sherry I'm going to start here and I want to say David I like this book tremendously I never read books about blind people writing about themselves never I think this is probably the only one I've ever read. And perhaps I should read more of them if they're as good as this one. I like this one because there was a lot of stuff I could identify with, and as you and I have talked, you weren't climbing Mount Everest or anything, so I wasn't feeling, like, really inferior by reading your book. I just thought it was really good. And my question for you would be, I think it would feel really odd to have people read your book and feel like they know you, Um Do you feel that way and do you have people feel like they know you when in fact they probably really don't?
2: Well, that's an interesting question, Sherry. I haven't been told by anybody reading the book that they know me. I mean, friends of mine who have read it say they sort of enjoy trying to figure out who's mentioned. Some people's names have been changed for privacy reasons and I um, suspect that People might feel they know a bit about me, because that was definitely what was going on in my life in 2014. So I guess it is a slice of life, and I would assume people would feel maybe that they at least got to look at my world or get a taste of it.
0: Well, um, this is Michelle. I absolutely loved David's book. Um, I I read it through uh, probably maybe in August. Uh, um, Sherry actually was the one who told me about the book. And um, I've read a couple of books about um, people who either were born blind or, in my case, especially people who became blind later in life because that's more my experience. I, I... Developed a a visual impairment later, you know, not late in life, but like in midlife. Um, So it's really interesting to me to read about, about the experiences. There were so many things in David's book that I loved. And also, it's one of the very few books that I've ever read that I really could relate to so much of what he was talking about in the book, and he explains everything so well. Um, and I, I really, really, really liked his book so much. Um, and I haven't read the whole thing through again, but I've read certain sections over again. And I do think, for me, this is a book that I can see myself returning to in the future. Um, so one question that I was interested in um, is, um, David, how did you develop your interest in trivia? And and have you always been interested in trivia?
2: That's a nice question, and I'd be glad to answer it. Um, Yes, I've always liked trivia. I think because, in some ways, it's basically knowledge. You know, it can be anything from what is the capital of Myanmar to what is the tallest building in the world today to what is the birthstone for July. You know, it's all these different collections of facts. I can remember as a teen listening to a show called The Jokers Wild. It was a trivia show that combined trivia with a slot machine approach. They had five categories and you would press your lever and you had three windows and I think if I remember right, you got to... um. Bet money on categories, or maybe there were different categories that showed up in your window. I can't remember exactly, but it combined a slot machine approach with trivia. I also liked tic-tac-toe at that time. It combined trivia with a tic-tac-toe board. And, of course, there's Jeopardy, you know, the grand empress of all of the trivia game shows. And I do like Jeopardy. I haven't listened to it recently but i do enjoy all the questions to see how many i can get and you know which ones i know and which ones the contestants know that i don't know and vice versa so i think as for as long as i can remember i've enjoyed finding out about things and that those game shows were one way to do it
3: well i really really love this book i don't read um I don't tend to read blind people's autobiographies either, because they are usually, as David put it in his book, it was an inspiration porn <laughs> and I don't. They usually make you feel inadequate, and they've got these superhuman guide dogs that know where you want to go before you know yourself. And all. but I, I could relate so much to a lot of things in David's book, uh, some of the social issues of going somewhere and not talking to anybody, and, you know, finding you feel a bit lonely and. I just thought there was so much to relate to and it was and the the trivia and the book reviews split it all up beautifully it made it um it made it so much more interesting than just a straight biography I thought it was really clever and I enjoyed reading the book reviews and I wrote down some books that I'd, I that I'd like to read like the uh, Barbara King and a few others and I also really enjoyed the food aspects as well. Um, I, I could really relate to this idea of trying to eat healthy things sometimes. Um, I remember going through a phase of juicing myself and uh, I got so sick of, of the time it took doing all the produce and then at other times eating all the Girl Guide cookies and the, what was it, jelly turtles or something. <laughs> it was so funny. It was it's such an amusing book as well. It really made me laugh and there's there, there, there just so many things I've never I hadn't heard of Jeopardy before it sounds uh, interesting and I love trivia though I can never remember any of it um, and I would just like to ask David what, this place that you write the book reviews for um, what, what is that? what is that that you write the book reviews for? is that a magazine? I, I wasn't quite sure what that was
2: yes Library Journal is exactly that uh, magazine or journal devoted to things library related. I believe it was founded in the 19th century and is one of the oldest professional journals still in existence today. I was very fortunate to get on as a book reviewer there. I review audio books. It happened because a friend of mine, David Rothman, himself an author, journalist, and also webmaster, suggested in I believe it was 2000, late 2005, that I might consider it. And I thought, oh, Lord, can I do that? And he, he must have known somebody there or was able to talk to them for me because they were interested, and I have thus far reviewed over 80 books in the past 11 years for them. It's been interesting. In fact, I just read one for them called Artemis by Andy Weir. Andy Weir is mentioned in my book. He wrote The Martian, which was made into a movie in 2015, and which was uh, one of the books mentioned by the DB Review people of 2014. It was sort of Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Artemis is set on the moon, and it's uh, about, they don't really say exactly the year. But it is about a woman who's basically a smuggler and the adventure she has. He could do this one as a series. I think I would even like that. Though I don't always like when authors milk a book like that. But um, so so basically, to sum up your question, a library journal is basically a journal, and it talks about all sorts of things related to the
4: library world. Well, David, this is Alan. Uh, uh, I I didn't quite get finished. I'm, I'm. about the second week of october of 2014 so i don't have too much to go but uh i i just want to thank you for 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 putting this together because you obviously have a a wealth of wisdom that you've you've garnered over the years through book reading and you know just your intelligence level and stuff and uh you did a a very good job of, of of making this an interesting read the way you've as others have said you you wove the uh uh, you know the your your food experiences with your your day-to-day living with your book reading and your book reviews and stuff so uh i'm i'm really enjoying uh all your comments i i i'm a i'm a huge fan of trivia as well so uh uh, uh, uh i i I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't dare ever take you on cuz you 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 dust my fanny but uh, uh it, it, it is fun to, to to take on stuff like that and I, you know, I, I, that's one of the things I do with my Amazon Echo is that Jeopardy game is great on that. So uh, uh, I find that I'm playing more and more more games and stuff on, on that because it's a lot of fun. And I really don't have any questions for you. Uh, m- maybe other. Did you ever find that uh, that that Zen stone that uh, uh, you know the the first one that got lost? Unfortunately, no.
2: I just don't know what happened. I think it slid off my arm when I was walking home from the store. And I just didn't notice it. I was distracted, and I just didn't notice, and who knows where it went. It's that thing we've all lost and never found, so I thought I'd, I'd put it in there just to remind everybody that it happens to all of us. Um, and yeah, trivia games are very fun. A friend and I play with Amazon Echo, and play that Jeopardy you're talking about. You get six questions, but you only get to play it once a day. And so far, we've gotten as many as five of the six right. And it says, congratulations, you're in the top 4%. And I'm thinking, geez, what if you only got one or two right? Would you be in the top 30% or, or 50%? I've never tried to find out, though. I've always enjoyed that game. And I mentioned in my book trying to audition for a, a you know, at a, at a live audition that's interesting, but it's very overwhelming because you see all these people who are just as good as you are, who have passed their, you know, their, their online, or in my case, telephone interview, telephone test. You get 50 questions, which I mentioned in the book, and they're all there trying to do it live with the little buzzer thing. And I don't know. I've done it twice. I guess I could try again, but I'm getting older now, and I don't know if I can concentrate as well, because you do have to concentrate, and it moves very quickly. I had just hoped I could just win even once, just to be the third blind person that I know of to get on there, but it may not be – but it certainly was an experience to to watch all the people. I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, and a few years later, Orlando, Florida – to try it so I can at least say I got that for
5: Hi David this is Julie Uh, I just wanted to let you know that I was here and that I I am so impressed that you did you just interwove so many wonderful things with the book and um, um, I enjoyed very much and I was wondering if for other people who might want to buy the book for a friend of theirs if you could give the website where the book can be purchased again slowly
2: sure and thank you for reminding me to do that i meant to um everyone else julie actually is someone i met who moved uh, at one time lived in lafayette in the 90s and we've managed to stay friends for a couple of decades now she probably won't want me to tell you how many decades so i'll around that just a little bit the website you want is this dldbooks.com that's d as in dog l as in library d as in dog books.com dldbooks is all one word no commas or dashes or periods after the dot com it's forward slash and then my name david Fauche, forward slash so it's dldbooks.com Dot com forward slash as in Frederick a-u-c-h h in hotel e-u-x forward slash so that will bring you to a website that has the reviews and has links to buy it or you could just go to amazon.com and type in across two novembers a year in the life of a blind bibliophile And it would come up that way because it is available through through Kindle, which you can get through Amazon. Of course, if any of you are Bookshare members, you can take a peek at it that way.
1: Um, I typed that website into the text window, so if anyone wants to just cut and paste it, if you hit F9 and arrow, you should be able to get it to copy it. I also wanted to tell Shell that Jeopardy's a huge popular game show here and the twist is that they have categories and they give you answers such as um he had two of his wives beheaded and then the contestants have to push their buzzer and ask the correct question which would be who is henry the eighth or something like that but it's quite popular here
3: oh thank you i'll have a look on youtube for that um, and it sounds
6: david this is don queen and uh, i like so many of uh, the rest of us uh, never read books about blind people who wrote who' written a book and wanted to climb Mount Everest or row across the Pacific or whatever they they did but um, uh, I was wondering how you managed to get in the, to become a librarian field of librarian or bibliophile uh, and how is this as an
2: occupation at started out life as an English major, and I graduated from LSU with an, with an undergrad, a Bachelor of Arts in English with a minor in Spanish, and became a Braille instructor for a few years. I then decided, because of um, not meeting certain job goals and um, not getting to work full-time, I ended up going to get back to school. Um, I was able to go back and it was in the late 90s when the internet was so hot, especially the World Wide Web. Everything was taking off. I was able to go and I have a master's degree in library and information science. Unfortunately, there were some health issues and some other issues and I didn't work as much as I would have liked. I did do some web consulting from people I knew. I remember doing a really um, nice... Several hours long presentation on trends in young adult literature, and that was absolutely fascinating for me to research, to talk about the rise of paranormal fiction, and that historic fiction was not as popular as it once was. But I ended up not doing as much, nearly as much in the field as I would have liked. I did, of course, like I mentioned, I did become a book reviewer, an audio book reviewer. Or library Journal. I did do an academic library internship in the early 2000s in Illinois. I spent three months in the fall there. It was an interesting time. The weather was really nice until November. Then it got. It started getting really cold. And I thought, hmm, I wasn't actually hired there because they required a subject master. So you had to have two, in other words, two advanced degrees. Many of the people there had masters in different areas like technology or history a friend of mine had, had a master i mean sorry a phd in creative writing so you had to have two advanced degrees to even be considered there and at that time even now i cannot figure out what a second masters would be it was challenging enough to get the first uh, to end with your question if a blind person asked me Do I recommend they get a Master's of Library and Information Science? I would probably tell them to think long and hard about it because the job opportunities while they are there don't seem to be as common. There are are a few highly placed blind librarians and I don't know if they've ever been successful at attempting to develop internships for blind people at the libraries where they are um, prominent. So, I would have to say, if you want to do this kind of work, perhaps you should get a degree in public administration and maybe do a minor in library and information science.
1: Wow, that sounds that's too bad that those degrees aren't more valuable. Um, for my next question, I wanted to know if you could tell us a little more about the publishing process, like how you found a publisher, how you found an editor, and how it felt to be edited
2: that again is an interesting process when um, excuse me I was asked to review a book by Dr. Kathy Schneider called Occupying Aging I mentioned some of that in my introduction while I was reviewing it it was on Bookshare and I downloaded it I was thinking oh I could probably write a journal I could probably do this. I've tried to write in the past. Now, I could do this. If I just make myself sit every day and write a couple of good paragraphs, I could do this. And then at the end of the year, I would have something. So I dove in. I wasn't sure how I was going to publish it. I figured I would would maybe talk to her about it or maybe ask some blind people. In February of 2014, I had heard several people talking about Lenore and her husband David Dvorkin. I had already gotten an editor. A friend from library school recommended somebody, and so I thought, oh, I wish I could have used them to edit. But maybe they can help me with the actual putting the book online and getting it ready to be published through an online one of the one of the ways to do it online. I ended up not keeping editor number one because we weren't working out that well. I was emailing concerns I had and she didn't like being emailed that much she would get rather cranky we had started on about February 2nd and by the middle of May we had done one and a half chapters and I was worried that I would never finish at that rate so I sent her a very nice note explaining that I was exploring other options because I would need assistance in getting the book published so I did switch editors And David and Lenore were really good to work with. The only caution I would have with you, if you want to use them, is they are a a two-person outfit, and they do have other books ahead of you, so you do have to wait. I remember starting with them in late May of 2015, and we actually didn't get going good until the fall. And because my book was rather complicated, it took about a year. There were so many things to check. I will probably never write a book like this again because there were just everything in that thing had to be checked. The bibliography alone was over 40 pages, and I was getting all of the information because I wanted each book to be listed by author, last name, first name, book title. The book titles are all in italics. Then the place of publication, the actual publisher. The copyright year, and I insisted, it's not required, but I insisted that the RCDB and BR numbers be included in parentheses to acknowledge, you know, as a subtle way to acknowledge all of the work that NLS has done to make so many books available. It's why... I, that's why in my acknowledgments, I thank all of those people who have narrated, and even those people who are behind the scenes of of commercial and NLS produced audio and braille books for us, because they've all you know they've all done a tremendous job, you know not only the reading of the books but the monitoring and reviewing of the books to make so many things available for us. So when I worked with My editor, she would go through a chapter, edit it, send it back to me, and I would read it and make any changes. It was hard because I can't judge my own writing very well. It it is just not something I'm very good at. I can sometimes tell when something sounds wrong or feels awkward, and I have to try to fix it. There were some things I had to clarify and some things that I realized, oh, I had said something a little different a few months ago, so one of these two things needs to be corrected so that I don't sound inconsistent. Then there were the trivia bits which I enjoyed putting in, I tried to make them relate to something. If I was maybe talking about going to Las Vegas, I might mention that it was the city... You know, that it was the city without clocks. And then mention how in France, during the French Revolution, they decimalized time so that a day was only ten hours long. But each of those hours was over two regular hours long, and it was divided into chunks of ten. Those chunks of ten were divided down into chunks of ten. It didn't actually catch on. Their calendar did not catch on. But we do have the metric system, of course, that they developed. So that is a remnant of the French Revolution. We don't call our months names like thermidor or Niveau's. Somebody translated the French months as breezy, sneezy, snowy, blowy, and uh, some, several other names that I don't remember now. I just thought it was so interesting. They totally tried to redo everything, even religion, but it did, didn't last. Um, I found that trying to include the blog bits was tricky because I couldn't figure out where to put them. At first, I thought I would if I had said something like, "Let me think of a good one." Like Saturday, November 16th, 2013, which is when my journal starts. If I had a blog bit from November 13th, say 2006. I thought maybe I should put it after the main entry and then say something like, from David's blog, November 13, 2006. Then I thought if I did that, people might be confused because I would be jumping back and forth between every now and then having a blog bit, and the blog bits could go anywhere from 2004 to 2009. So I thought best put those at the end so that people do not get confused with them, that if I put the monthly book bag... At the end of each chapter, and then added a line up section which had the blog bits, and then pulled a few books from my three or four, three decades long book list. I would be able to keep things separate enough so that, so that people wouldn't be overloaded or confused. I'm not sure if, however, all the blog bits and the book and the book list to the decades. I worry that that might have made the actual book a little over to a little too overloaded but other people have said they liked it because it gave it a unique slant it was more than just a journal it had things in it that went across time and gave you a richer sense of who i am
0: yeah i thought the book was extremely well organized i i thought it was just absolutely terrific um and i and i liked that we got you know, everything wasn't the same. It wasn't just one date after another. There were other things that were interspersed. Um, One thing that I was wondering, because I've never been to any of the state or national conventions, and I thought you did such a great job describing what the experience is like, you know, how it is to navigate and the different activities that they have and even how you go to restaurants and and all that. And I was wondering, um, do you recommend that people go to a convention um, do you think that it, that it was a worthwhile experience?
2: <laughs> That's a little complicated. I do think and, and that everyone should try to go to at least one of the big consumer conventions in their lifetime. Pick either NFB or ACB and Try to pick one of them, you know, and try to go to one national. Try to Perhaps try to go when it's in a location where you might also want to do some sightseeing so that you can get out of the hotel sometimes. I will say that it can take a while to get from point A to point B in the hotel. They can be crowded, and sometimes it can be a bit tricky to navigate through so many people with so many guide dogs and so many canes, so don't always be in a hurry and pick the most important things you want to do at the conventions they they both have like have um schedules they'll tell you what's coming up the next day or the, or the next day or, the, or later in the week and you can say okay I want to go to the Library Users mm-hmm. of America group or okay I want to go to the National Association to Promote the Use of Braille meeting so you can definitely um get a lot out of a convention but if you but in honesty, if you don't have the best mobility skills, perhaps you should go with a group of friends or bring somebody because it can get overwhelming. I you know, as I said, I've been to an A C B national and I was at an N F B national in nineteen eighty nine and I found them both to be interesting, but I also found that you if you aren't careful they could get overwhelming because there's just so many people. Um, but it is something to consider to, you know, like I said, wait if one is going to be in a city that you'd like to uh, visit next year. ACB is in St. Louis. I think NFB will be in Orlando one last time. They went on an Orlando kick for the past like decade and more and it was it was almost straight Orlando I'm not sure why so if you have kids and want to go to disney world I guess you could go to nfb orlando and i believe next year is the last time it'll be there for a while so you just have to check around and see <laughs> and see where they're going they usually publish in their respective magazines. NFB has Braille Monitor and ACB has Braille Forum. They used to publish a couple of months before the convention different things you can do and directions in how the hotel's laid out and stuff. So there are things you can use to plan. Planning is definitely essential.
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll add to what David said. Uh, uh, NFB N- did a five year deal with Orlando, I think, to try to. Uh, they were dealing with a particular hotel group down there, and they were trying to save money by doing a multi-year arrangement. So uh, uh, there's advantages and disadvantages to that. And also, if you ever think about going, try to time it around, uh, you know, who, whoever knows this. But you can really get some good deals on some of some of these screen reading software and stuff, especially I know with – with the. Uh, uh, what's the name? Of it? Who's the company that's taken over everything? They bought Freedom Scientific and AI Squared and everything. V VFO or whatever they're called. Uh, if you can time that right, sometimes they'll they'll really give a good deal on on that software at the national conventions and stuff. So I, I guess you're a little bit uh, uh, enslaved to timing on that. You won't really know, but uh, I know they've had some very good deals on that. If you could if you could work that out, that that would cut some of the cost of going probably
6: yeah I, I th- I've missed these <coughs> exhibit rooms because I used to that's where I keep up on the technology what's was going around into the, the exhibit room. But the NFB always tried to go for the multi years. You get some good better rates for the convention from the hotels. If you can, they can sign you up for several years in a row. it, it, it can work out for. I remember we went several years at the Palmer House in, in Chicago, and uh,
2: that was pretty nice. I think of the two organizations, NFB does seem to get better hotel rates. I do recall hearing that both organizations stayed at a lovely hotel in Louisville called the Galt House, and everyone, everyone. who went there loved it. They said it was easy to navigate, and it was just nice. That I heard horror stories about NFB in Atlanta at these hotels that were in like giant circles, and that they were confusing. I can tell you the Riviera Hotel in vegas where we were in 2014 was horrible it was old then i learned that next the next may they knocked it down and i thought well it didn't surprise me because it had the faded sort of unkempt feel of a hotel that they were planning to get rid of it just seemed ratty i don't know why and i found it really really hard to navigate and i'm not still not sure why but it kept getting me confused i remember being very upset with the lady who coordinates the ACB volunteers because I'd emailed her to out to the volunteer desk and say, could you have a volunteer meet me by the elevator um, by the elevator cluster in, say, 20 minutes? And she was offended. So they just seemed to want you to just walk down the hall and look lost, and if a volunteer saw you, they could ask you if you needed help, or you could do what some of them do and yell out, is there a volunteer around here? I thought maybe they could give you a little flash a little flashlight the size of your little finger, and you could press a button on the bottom and maybe it would blink a red light, so volunteers could say, "Anybody with a blinky red light is somebody who needs help. I never I really was offended by that because I thought there should have been a much easier way to do that. It just seemed so weird to be yelling out, and I never yelled. I just did as best as I could. In the ACB,
6: the uh, members vote on the choice of the convention sites. Uh, not in the NFB, as far as I know, unless they've changed. And so they can, they can, do, they can make deals. It's a, it's a, a democracy has its price, I guess. David, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience auditioning for
1: Jeopardy? I mean, did they fly you to Orlando, and I forget where else you said? And how did they, um, did they, were they good at accommodating your being blind? Did they offer someone to help you find your way at the hotel or wherever you were to do the tryouts and stuff? And how many people were there? Did they have different rounds? where they eliminated people and then they just flew you home the next day? Or were you there for several days?
2: Good. Good questions. They don't do anything. You pay for everything. If you want to try out for Jeopardy!, the first thing you do is keep your eye open and watch the website. Or if you're watching the game, Alex will say at the end, don't forget to check online and apply to take the online Jeopardy! test. And, and I, I always had heard the Jeopardy! test was something that didn't work with JAWS. So I just figured, oh, well, I guess I'll never be on. But I actually had a cousin. Her name is Shira. Shira. And she got to be on Jeopardy. She was on the very last show of 2008, and I, we, we happened to be talking with her. And I just said, that would be interesting. She goes, well, you should take the test. And I said, but I don't think it works well with JAWS. And she said, oh, but if you contact them, they, she, was sure, she was so sure they would work it out. And so I emailed them. I mentioned her name. I figured that would help. <coughs> Sometimes it does because you're talking with people who are with Buena Vista Entertainment, which I think is part of Sony Productions. It's some big elaborate Hollywood thing. And anyway, they worked it out. I got to take the test in March of 2009. What happens is they set up a time to call you. They call you. They said they do it for blind people. That's how they've always done it. And you get Fifty questions, and, you know, they don't, don't expect you to keep them on the phone while you go look something up. It might be like, okay, here's your Jeopardy test. My name is Jamie. I'm from the, you know, Jeopardy. And they'll say, okay, your first question, kings of France. He's noted for having said, I am the state. And then you have to come up with Louis Fourteenth. or it might be famous rivers. This river is called the father of waters and begins in Minnesota and empties into the Gulf of Mexico. And you could answer Mississippi River. You know, you don't have to answer what is or anything like that. They just need an answer. And there were one or two I wasn't sure of. She said you could, you could come back to it, so I had to. I missed one, and I wanted to smack myself because the answer was the musical Mamma Mia. It was popular that year. And um, so once you do that, you sit around and wait. You don't know when they're going to call you back. For the first time in 2009, they called me back within a week and invited me to audition. They have eight audition sites. sites. Of course, none of them are near me. I don't. Susie, a friend of mine who's mentioned in the journal, told me she remembers they did New Orleans once as an audition site. But when I was auditioning... They didn't even seem to have Dallas or Houston, places I could have flown to straight. So I I picked Charlotte, which to get to from Lafayette, Charlotte, North Carolina, you fly from here to Atlanta and then from Atlanta to Charlotte. I brought a family member with me the first time. and No, Jeopardy doesn't I, I really have anybody to meet you or anything that I've ever heard of. You just kind of get there. The Jeopardy hotel tends to be very expensive, so I, I stayed at one nearby and made sure to leave the hotel early enough to get there on time because they give you a time schedule. I believe the first tryouts start at 9, then the next batch goes from 11 to 1, and the next batch goes from 1 to 3. So they have three two-hour blocks and they're, if I'm not mistaken they're at this hotel for a week so they end up having about 15 different uh, tryouts, each lasting about two hours Um, what happens is at different times they go to the different cities and I remember that year it was Charlotte Washington D.C. I believe it was um, maybe Los Angeles Boston I'm not sure, Philadelphia. Places that were very far from, from where I am. And when I went to Charlotte, there were people from Tennessee and some people from Georgia. And also people from the Carolinas who were there. There were people who were college professors. There were some people who had rafted down some river in Africa. There were people who had gone to Lithuania to do—I don't remember if it was Peace Corps work. They all sounded really interesting. Like I was thinking, oh boy, why? How did I get here? And I was telling myself, well, don't think that way. You'll—you—you know—you won't appear confident because they—they're watching you while you're there. What happens is they call all of you into a room, and they're about. 40 of you at a time And they call you into this room And you watch the little video Which is Alex saying, hi, I can't be here But I know some. Of, I'll be seeing some of you Again later this year On the show in LA And so you, you watch the little sh- You watch that Then they give you they actually give you another test. It's timed. It's the, it's a similar 50 question test to what you took on you know online. I'm not sure what that does if they compare the two scores or if there's something because they never tell you anything about what they do. Um, you take that, then they have a few round, a few. Rounds where they're just letting everybody together sit And if you know the answer to something You raise your hand And one of the people who works for the show Will point and call you And you're supposed to just say who is or what is With the correct answer And oh there's probably no question You could ask to any room Of Jeopardy live auditioners That somebody in that room wouldn't know Some of those people were scary They, they just were so fast And they were so good uh, Then you are picked in groups of three to play an actual mock jeopardy round where you come up to the front of the room in front of everybody and you're given you know you're given your uh clicker device i don't think they call it a buzzer it looks like a long cylinder with a little wire out one in and a sort of round button on the top and they start asking questions I'm sorry. They start giving clues because, of course, they do not ask questions. That was one of the unique things of Jeopardy. Of course, as any, you know, any fan knows, you're supposed to answer it as a question, and they do expect you to answer it as a question, even in those trials. And they'll ask you. There were, as I recall, there were three categories or four categories with three questions with three clues each. And it moved very fast That part was confusing to me Because they didn't have anything in braille And you just kind of had to remember what was played I think uh, the hardest part for me Was to hear a clue And go, oh, I know that And hold that answer in your head And listen for them to stop talking And try to buzz in before anyone else Because if you're too early They lock you out for a half a second Which is just enough time For one of your teammates to click in and I, I think that was my hardest part, trying to get that buzzer, or, you know, trying to figure out how to do that. Um, I think if I could be on any trivia show now, if a magic genie appeared, I would pick who wants to be a millionaire because it's not as, as crazy and chaotic. Granted, if you answer something wrong, you're gone. In Jeopardy, you still can redeem yourself. In fact, I did audition in 2005. I don't think I talked about it in the book, but I did try Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. They were in Houston at the Galleria, and a friend and I had gone. And luckily, we we left at about 7 and got to the Galleria at 8.30, and we were in the second group they took. And when we were done at about 10, we walked through the mall, and there were people inside the mall, wrapped all the way around it, trying to get on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And no, I didn't make it. But these shows do not tell you why. Either uh, You know, did I not do well enough? Do they want different skill levels? Sometimes I think they want different skill levels on tests, and they try to pick different things. But I could be very wrong, and they never tell. You don't know why you didn't make it.
0: That's so interesting hearing about your experiences about Jeopardy! because my father loved Jeopardy! and I used to watch it with him all the time. And... <laughs> whenever it came up to the science questions boy I did not do well Uh, there were some categories I was good at but science they would just have a science category they could just knock me out for for that one and I was really happy that you mentioned your good friend Susie because I I just love Susie I I know she's not a character I know she's a real person but she just seemed like such a like a good natured kind of fun person to, to be with a really good friend so I'm glad that you mentioned her um and another question that I had is, um, and it was interesting to me because throughout the book you would mention, um, you know, attending church, and I guess it seemed like you went to different churches, it wasn't always the same church, and I was wondering, do you find in general that when you deal with a religious community that they are welcoming to blind parishioners, has, has that been your experience?
2: That's a good question, and Susie would appreciate that you liked her, even though she's technically a real person and not a character in a fictional book. She's very lively and very New Orleans which is where she lives now um, I wanted to conclude first with something about Jeopardy when you fly to be a contestant on the show and you go to Vegas you're paying for that plane and I believe the hotel as well they don't pay for any of that unless you get to come back because what the one thing I forgot to tell you <laughs> was they film five Jeopardy shows on Tuesday and five on Wednesday so that's two week shows in one week they tell you to bring a few changes of clothes in case you be, you're on more than one episode You change your shirt and stuff So if, if they have to fly you back For the next week They pay for it but, So they must have lost A huge amount of money On Ken Jennings um, Who was just astounding I was jealous of him I've wanted to be The next Ken Jennings And even if I wanted to be on there Like 20 times I knew I would never be on there 75 But oh to have been Like Ken Jennings Jr. Would have been A, dr- a dream An unreal dream And to answer your question About religious Um religious communities yes and no some are very supportive others just don't know what to do I've attended several denominations I was raised Roman Catholic and you know I've been to different Roman Catholic churches and I don't find necessarily that they are terribly helpful though I have friends in other cities who say that certain priests at certain churches they attend are more than helpful. It depends, I I presume, on the minister or the priest, and on the makeup of the congregation. In the 1990s, I attended an Episcopal church, and the priest there was a real go-getter type. Unfortunately, he moved to Austin, Texas, and so I... Only very occasionally email And it takes months for him to answer He's very busy so I've lost a connection there But in the 90's he was phenomenal I had rides to church I I didn't know how good I had it until I lost it And then when he left that church It was never as good We have two Episcopal churches in town And the other one was okay But nothing was ever as good as In the 1990's It's just very Um very idiosyncratic, I think. Depending on the church, how you're treated. You just have to um, try to work with the church, or if you're, if you don't mind, for instance, if you're raised Protestant, you could maybe, if you weren't happy with the Episcopal Church you were at, maybe try a Lutheran or Presbyterian one, if it doesn't bother you to step out like that. So it is definitely very. Um, changeable and depends very much on the church and the priest or minister.
4: Here's tonight's Jeopardy clue. He was the original host of Jeopardy. Go.
2: I believe that was who was Alan Fleming and that Jeopardy did not have the final Jeopardy round. I believe the person who scored the top in the first and in the, in the regular Jeopardy and Double Jeopardy got to play some sort of fast thing at the end, like a Jeopardy bingo or something. So I believe it was – it's either Arthur – I think it's Arthur Fleming. I think I said Alan, but I think it's Arthur. It's somebody Fleming.
4: Yeah, uh, Art Fleming is, is, is how I remember it, but uh, Arthur must have been his, been his name. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it it, it started in 1964. I, don't, I just Googled it a few minutes ago. I didn't realize – I know I had watched it back in the 60s, but uh, – I mean, Trebek's been doing it for, like, over 27 years. The Things has got long legs. It's a, it's a very popular program, no doubt about it.
5: Yeah, Art Fleming is what I remembered from back when I listened to it when I was very, very, very...
2: I had heard that in the 1960s what happened, you were allowed to to key in as quickly as you could read the the clue because he would be reading it but it would be up where the contestants could see it and there was a naval radar operator, Ray somebody who was incredibly fast he would key in before they were finished reading it and they did allow that back then, oh I'd have never gone on the show then I wouldn't have even tried because unless they had a braille display, there's no way I could have done that I think they could do a little bit more for blind contestants, but I think we're lucky they've done as much as they have, unless, of course, somebody goes after them with ADA, which I don't know how that would turn out. You'd need a really good lawyer because you're going up against a major entertainment complex. I think it's Buena Vista Entertainment, which is part of Sony Columbia Pictures, so it's, it's some big monolith that would come back after you. And like you said, Alan... Mr. Trebek has been there a long time. I'm not sure... (laughs) how much longer he'll go. I was, I was told there was one episode of Jeopardy that Pat Sajak hosted and, conversely, one episode of Wheel of Fortune that Alex hosted. I think people like those two game shows for different reasons. Wheel of Fortune, anybody can try to solve those puzzles. You don't have to know anything but what's on that board. You know, you look at the letters and, oh, I know that. That's um the art of living or that's um, every man for himself but Jeopardy, you have to pull knowledge outside a lot of times. You have to know what Gloria Swanson's most famous movie was or who um, Ethel Kennedy well, is, and you have to pull it from your head. So it's interesting. Those two shows are owned by the same people, and I think their demographic is very different.
1: bit about your interest in food. You seem to have much better eating habits than I do, and I'm hoping you do eat the occasional hamburger. And I was thinking it would be cool if you could be a restaurant critic, although you'd have to maybe go out of town. But, boy, if people saw any blind people coming, they would assume that they might be the blind
2: restaurant critic and treat us all really well. I I I can visualize it now. The underground critic, watch that white cane. He will definitely tap out a review and you be, be uh, restaurateurs beware no I do eat bad today I ate a bag of caramel popcorn I was so bad uh I'm in a group called the Acadian Area Council of the Blind, and we were doing a fundraiser, and we were selling this popcorn and of course i bought a bag to support us. Um, we were at a near, we were at Bromart, the store I mentioned in my little in my book, and before I got a plate lunch because I stayed out with my uh, the president and treasurer. We were there for about three hours. The weather was gorgeous in the low seventies, so it was it wasn't torturous um and anyway. I bought a bag of the caramel popcorn, and I had a plate lunch. They had crawfish étouffée today, and I had that and potato salad and coleslaw. I'm going to be as big as a house before too much longer. And this afternoon I got hungry and ate all of the caramel popcorn, so no, I do not eat perfectly. I guess I hope the popcorn had some roughage, that the caramel didn't destroy the uh, roughage quality of the popcorn, so that the roughage in the Popcorn and the caramel canceled each other out into a food that had a zero gain for me. And if I'm lucky, I'd love to eat perfectly to see if I would feel better because, of course, we didn't really get into it tonight. But I do deal with fibromyalgia, which was something I did put in the journal just to show you because there weren't many journals that I know of that were written. By blind people who were open and discussing a secondary challenge. The only one I know of is a book by a lady named Nikki Kobe who has regional sympathetic dystrophy. It's a pain disorder. So those tend to make our lives a touch more challenging. I hope I live long enough to see treatments that actually work for.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned Brews Daily because that was another place like I felt that I already knew from from reading your book. Um, And I wasn't familiar with the uh, expression plate lunch. I've, I've heard the expression blue plate special, so I assume it's sort of the same thing. It must be like a daily special that they have and and it has like uh, you know a a main meal and and some sides and whatever that's what I assumed that it was so I learned a new expression and um, not that I want to put pressure on you but we're hoping that maybe you have plans to write another book In the future and if you could tell us if you have any any thoughts or any any ideas about writing a second book
2: okay first yes a plate lunch is similar to what you described i should have explained that better in the book because i didn't realize other places don't have that expression a friend of mine who lives in manhattan was so intrigued as you were it's basically uh, lots of stores and gas stations and and very small sort of of walk-in restaurants do it basically Each day you might have three main choices. It might be meatloaf, um, red (laughs) beans and rice with sausage, and maybe um, chicken stew. So you pick one of those three. Then there are four sides, and the restaurant would let you pick two or three. It depends on the restaurant. It might be smothered green beans, smothered corn. It might be squash. It might be um, pork and beans. You know, it might be... Um, green salad. It might be fruit salad, and maybe you get a roll, and you pick you pick from that, and it's a set price of say five ninety five or six something. It depends. Today it was eight something because the crawfish is a bit more expensive, so it depends. Some places don't have as many choices. Their main entree might be every Monday red beans and rice, and and you pick two sides from the three that they have. So there are lots of places in town that do this stuff. And to answer your question about what I might write, and I've been debating it, and I need to get going on it because I have to make myself write. I, w- words do not gush out of me the way they seem to gush out of James Patterson, and John Grisham, and Sue Grafton, the Alphabet Mystery Lady. I miss that why is for whatever why was for. I wanted to go to that because I have once read a book by her. Anyway, either will be a short story collection, and it will be no more than say 150 pages. I'm making. Books Book number two, much it's going, is going to be thinner than its older brother, book number one. Or I may try to tell the story of the ancestor Isabella Mora, who came to Louisiana in 1779. I'd mention her for two reasons. One, because she is, of course, Spanish from the Canary Islands, and many people forget Louisiana has a very interesting Spanish heritage that is sort of wrapped around the French heritage, and so you sometimes miss it if you're not looking. We have people with names like Domang and Rodriguez, which are really Dominguez and Rodriguez. The names get sort of Louisianaized so that they become Rodriguez and Domang. And there are other names that do that. And she brought the eye condition. It's a genetic eye condition in our family. So she um, is the pivotal ancestor for impacting my life, I think. So it would either be one of those two things unless I think of something else. So I'm going to have to make myself definitely have a New Year's resolution that I'd better get to writing in 2018. Because self-publishing is interesting, but the PR part is really demanding. You, know, you have to go think of all your contacts and start bothering people I have two last interviews I'm hoping to get either this year or the beginning of next and then I will feel like I've done as much as I know how to do with the book and so I'm hoping to tie that up
0: well my my wish is that you actually write both books, so I, I'm, I that would be that would be great, but I think for your short story, were you thinking about writing a story about um, what it 's like to have gone to a residential school? Was that one of your short stories you were thinking about?
1: This is Sherry after you answer David, I noticed julie you 've had your hand up a couple of times, so I 'm going to give you. A chance, And I know
2: Alan has been trying to. I'll be really quickly. Yes, the residential school uh, thing was an idea. I've just got to figure out what kind of things to wrap short stories around because I don't want it to be too long. But I do think it's a kind of thing that older blind people would relate to and sighted people might find interesting because it is definitely dying now. Blind people are mainstreamed so much now. And go ahead, either Julie or Alan, I'll stay here and take your questions until we're all done.
5: Um, I had a question. Well, I had um, a comment and a question. Um, you were talking about. Hey, I made some last week. Um, you would have loved it. You. I wish you'd been at my because I made some crawfish étouffée last week. So you would have been welcome, and it turned out real well. So, my my other question is, um, I'm trying to buy your book as a gift, and I'm trying to figure out how to choose a text format. And forgive my. My stupidness because it's been a while since I bought it but I'm trying to figure out how to choose it as a text format um, to buy it as a gift and I just, I cannot figure out how to do it I, I noticed some of the other formats you know like uh, shoot that, that have the links by them but I can't find a link for a text format you know on the WordPress page and and I can't figure out how to do it.
2: Um, to my knowledge, the format that it's in is something called a MOBI file that you need Kindle for, and that's my only understanding. That the way the publishers do it is make they make it available in. Um, I think I think you can also get Smashwords has it as an EPUB file, which would um, be something I think that some devices for us will read better than other things, so you either have it as a Mobi file, um, which you can do through Kindle and Amazon or a an EPUB file, which you can do directly through Smashwords.com if I'm not mistaken, those are the only two that I know of, they don't Really do like .dot doc or .dot um, text files. I think that it, it, they fear it's so easy for those to get duplicated, and that was my understanding uh, of of it.
5: Well, what's interesting it's, it it says available ebook formats: EPUB, Mobi, PDF, LRF, PDF. TXT, HTML. So I assumed that your book was in all of those. So I, I'm sorry to be so. I'm sorry to take up so much
2: time, y'all. Forgive me. Oh no, that's fine. Let me let me talk to the my editor people who helped me and ask them exactly: Are you on the um, Amazon? Um, page, or did you go to DLD Books? Uh, I'm just wanting to make sure I know where you started from.
5: The DLD Books and then I went to the Smash, um, Smash whatever.
2: Okay, let me talk to them and ask them how you select that, and I'll get back with you on that, and I'll always email you later about that. And I think, was it Alan, did you have something before we conclude?
4: Yeah, I, I was just going to comment. I-, I-, I suspect that even those that are in the regular publishing, as opposed to the self-publishing world, find the PR stuff a real pain in the rump because uh, you know they all have to do it and and doing book tours or, or whatever it, it constitutes. I I, I I know they probably all dread that. I wouldn't be, and I wouldn't be
2: surprised. My only thing is that when you have a big name publisher behind you, sometimes they can catch the attention of national book reviewers who will then review your book, which will bring it to the attention of the national media, which I haven't gotten yet. I'm working on it. I have one possible interview in New Orleans with the woman, Sally Ann Roberts, who's the sister of GMA host Robin Roberts. Now, whether Sally Ann decides to mention her, the book to her sister, I do mention her sister's book in my August chapter. Everybody's got something, and I I'm hoping they give me a mention. I'm w- hoping we can tie that in because the radio reading service in New Orleans will read the book in the spring. I believe they'll be ready by early spring of next year. They're reading. They're working on it now. I need to get back with them and make sure everything's going okay. You learn that when you self-publish. You've got to check a lot with people, make sure everybody's always on track and that everything works out for you. And lastly, I did do a virtual book blog tour where you go online once a week to a blog or two blogs and you, you, answer questions and talk to them about your book i used a company called goddessfish.com to do that i'd read about it in a book all about self-publishing and i told several blind friends about it who have books and they loved it they said that was such a unique idea i think it helped me a little bit it's just so hard to be heard because there's so many people now self-publishing and it has become respectable
3: Hi, David. Just before you go, I'm sorry, I've been trying to get in for ages and I'm not very good at getting in here. I just first wanted to say one other thing I learnt from your book, which I'm really grateful for, is about making the banana cake and using um, a potato ricer to get the get the bananas how you want them to go in the banana cake and i've been using that ever since and i'm <laughs> really grateful for that i just wanted to ask a quick question about the courses you mentioned in the book sometimes I, sorry it's a couple of months since i read the book so i can't remember what they were now but a couple of occasions you said you started a course and decided not to go through with it and a couple you decided to go on with and i just wondered were they physical courses that you attended or were they courses online Cause it sounded really interesting and I wondered if they were just free courses that anyone could take online or whether they were physical courses and uh, if so are you doing any courses right at the minute?
2: No, no c- courses since December of 2014 when I concluded the ones I was taking, the folklore and the advertising. Um, those courses are free. They're at Coursera, dot aorg and they have all sorts of things you can pick. They're not always mind-friendly, though, so you have to figure out if it's something you'll be able to do because there was some stuff I tried to take that dealt with gastronomy because – It fascinated me, but it was so visual. They had all these demos, these video demos, and I was lost. That would be the one and only degree, if I ever went back to school, would be a Master of Fine Arts in Gastronomy. Boston University is one place, but I would have to hire an assistant because at night I just don't want to learn a campus ever again. You know, I would want to focus on mainly doing the work, having somebody help me schedule all of when my papers were due. I would do my work, of course, but I would need an assistant. I've done it on my own before and don't have any wish to be flopped down on a big metropolitan city campus alone anymore. And I'm glad you found the potato ricer idea useful. It it leaves the bananas in little pieces, and sometimes that makes it taste more banana-like
3: what a lot you can learn from one book and i think of all the little trivia bits and all the recipes So i've learned so much from the book as well as enjoying it so thank you so much
2: glad to do it the trivia bits to me the did you knows and louisiana historic facts were sort of like chocolate chips in a cookie or raisins in an oatmeal raisin cookie a little something to um
4: shift gears just for a minute a little lanyette for us that, that that we're reading right on
2: I'll ask if there are any more questions. I know we're running just a tiny bit over, so I don't want to keep all of you. I appreciate all of you coming. It was very fun. I'd never been the um, subject of one of these. I had a friend of mine say, oh, it's such an honor for you. They never do anything that's not been on board first, so maybe I'll eventually get there too. But I wanted to thank everyone for having me, and if there's any other question, I'll, I'll hang around for another second or two.
1: It's funny you would mention that about BARD because I got in trouble for publishing an announcement on DB Review because the book was not on BARD. Um, and, Shell, just for future reference, the best way to be able to get in the room is not to wait till there's silence and press the button, but just hold the control button down continuously. And what happens is people queue up, and then when it's your turn, you'll hear the blip, and your handle just stay on until it is your turn rather than trying to get in. Um, I'll let Michelle tell us about the next book, and then if we have any more questions for David, we can continue.
0: Yes. um, I I did want to ask David um, if he knew the address of the person that we could write to at Bard, because I would like to write to um, Bard and ask them to uh, record your book. Uh, To me, it's absolutely... I can't think of a book that's more perfect to be on board than David's book. So do you know who he would
2: write to and what the address would be? The last time I heard, your best bet would probably be Judy Dixon, and her email address is jdix at l o c. L-O-C is Library of Congress.gov because, of course, NLS, National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, is part of the Library of Congress uh, program. And Judy Dixon, I think, would be the person, if I'm not mistaken, because she's been the consumer rep there since the early 1980s. And I once caught an interview with her, and she seemed like she had no real interest in retiring, not quite just yet. So jdix, J-D-I-X, at L-O-C If she's worried about reviews, I've gotten several good ones on Amazon. Deborah Kendrick, who couldn't be here tonight, did an amazing review. I was floored for Access World. I mentioned in a blog at Learning Alive, which used to be RFB, I've been picked up and mentioned at Library Journal. The webmaster for org posted one there on Facebook and in something called The Georgetown Dish, which I think is a local DC paper. He compared my book to the famous journal by Samuel Pepys, which I thought was very kind. I've now downloaded some stuff about Samuel Pepys to check out the competition um, and so there are, and I had, of course, the book itself had reviews from four authors, Dr. Kathy Schneider, Priscilla Cummings, a young adult author, Phyllis Campbell, a blind published author herself, and Dr. Anthony Fonseca, a library school acquaintance of mine who himself has been published, especially in the fields of horror and, um, let's see, I think it was his main thing was horror and pop culture.
1: Um, I did write to Judy Dixon a while back when you mentioned her before, David, and she is responding to emails. She said something to the effect of, yes, this would be a good book to add, and that's it. So, yeah, that's probably still a good email address for anybody that wants to encourage the book to be on Bard.
0: Yeah, I'm actually going to definitely write to her because I, I actually think it's a perfect book to be on board. So I I can't see her. I can't see why they would think it wouldn't be a perfect book, actually. Um, and I, I did want to just, you know, it's so interesting what you said, David, about books about people with multiple uh Conditions because it is you know I would think that there are more books out there I'm going to have to do some research because I've certainly met um, from support groups that I've gone to I've met many many people who have who are blind or visually impaired. And have some sort of physical uh, issue that they're dealing with a serious physical issue. So I'm actually I, I would think somewhere that there would be books that deal with multiple situations because there are different challenges. And, and I really like that you talked a little bit about um, what you, you deal with with about fibromyalgia because I think it's it's a condition that we've all heard of, but I don't know that so many people really understand it um, that well.
2: I'm hoping it does help people um, think about the, about the challenge of maybe having to a primary and secondary type of uh, challenge. I know most people are aware of deaf-blind people because of Helen Keller and Robert Smith does, but I think sometimes when you have a hidden condition, you might just slip through the cracks, and it does, pro- it does pose some unique challenges. And yes, NLS would have fun recording this book because I can see all the heading levels they would have to have for chapters, for blog bits, for lanyard bits, for... Um you know I can just see it. I, I would not envy the person though who will have to read that huge bibliography. in fact, Judy Dixon once was doing an interview and she mentioned they were thinking about using synthetic speech to do things like bibliographies. I wish they would consider that for my book because the book has over forty five pages of bibliography and another eleven of websites it 's huge it 's almost academic in its uh, degree of um, actual Bibliography. I just did not want to mention a book and not have it with the author and stuff fixed that way anybody can go in the back and look for it. So if Bart does it, I hope they do it with lots of level navigation.
3: Uh, I wonder if I might just ask two very quick questions. Uh, one was, what is a doughboy? Because uh, I'm always very interested in food and I didn't know what this doughboy was. And the other thing is, this, these girl guy cookies... Is a Girl Guide cookie any biscuit made by a Girl Guide to sell? Or is a Girl Guide cookie a particular recipe? You know, so could you make a Girl Guide cookie yourself?
2: Uh, Girl Guide cookies, or as we would say, Girl Scout cookies, are pre-made and they come in boxes. And they have flavours like the, the Thin Mints, which are the a cookie coated in that mint chocolate and you can just sit there and make yourself sick eating them because four cookies is never enough. I don't know who thinks four cookies is a serving. It's the same people who think that half a cup of ice cream is a serving. I mean, really, right. They have peanut butter cookies. They have shortbread cookies. They have some kind of lemon cookies. They have, I think, oatmeal cookies with peanut butter centers. I think there's a cookie that's got a wafer coated with peanut butter covered in chocolate. So, they're different brands. We look for it usually in the spring when the Girl Scouts appear selling cookies. Some of them go in front of different local stores with all their cookies sitting on tables. And I can never manage to pass and not buy one box and support the Girl Scouts. And I think you're talking about a po' boy maybe? A sandwich. It's a sandwich. It's on a sort of long bread. Not quite like baguette bread. I've been in France and I find baguette bread too skinny, too hard, and too narrow that is nowhere near as good as our version of french bread which is a little wider a little thicker and a little longer so i just had a po boy the other day it was a fried shrimp one. it's about eight or nine inches long about four inches wide and three inches tall fried shrimp are put on there with lettuce tomato mayonnaise and i didn't realize you could get you could get pickle and you could also get cheese next time i might be adventurous and do that so it's a signature sandwich down here um and they, you can get it, like I said, fried shrimp, you can do fried catfish, fried oysters, you can do grilled shrimp, you can do ham and cheese, you can do um, roast. It it's just depends on what the places do. It's just a popular sandwich. I believe it goes back to New Orleans in the Depression era. People would, would It was a cheap way to put food on a, a huge piece of bread and fill up people for like a nickel back in the Depression
1: Don't forget the Samoa cookie, the best Girl Scout cookie of all, the one with coconut and kind of caramely marshmallow on it. I don't think they give out the recipes for these because, like David said, I think they're pre-made. The Girl Scouts are known for their cookies. I think a lot of people do try to copy them, though. And isn't a po' boy just like P-O, like short for poor boy, P-O-O-R?
4: Sorry.
6: I didn't mean to...
4: Julie, you've got the microphone, but you don't seem to be talking. You seem to be typing.
5: Sorry, I wasn't trying to hit the key. I apologize.
0: Well, I, I've been to New Orleans one time. I went with a friend of mine a long, long time ago. We went to Mardi Gras, which was a lot of fun. And for, when I was there, what I remember, um, the food was fantastic. And the first time, it was the first time I ever had oysters. We went, you know, I was much younger. We went a lot to bars and stuff like that. And we went with a friend of ours who was going to school at the time in New Orleans. And you ordered these like massive massive amounts of oysters like i don't remember it was like six dozen or something like that it seemed like a lot of oysters for me to to be ordering and i i don't remember you mentioning oysters all that much in the book david is that uh, is that uh, one of your favorite foods or is that just like limited to new orleans area
2: oh oh, oh. no we have them but oysters are a little too squishy for me my, I have relatives who enjoy them. They'll whack them off of the shell and slather them in Tabasco sauce and lemon juice and sort of slurp them down. Ooh, I'm not quite that, advent- that... Just the texture bothers me. If, if, if they could just sort of take oysters and sort of puree them and mix them with shredded cooked potato and make them into lovely patties and I wouldn't have to think about squishy, I think I would like them. Or they would puree just one oyster into a cup of homemade mayonnaise and puree just one oyster. It would be all fine, and I wouldn't know it's there, except I would have a hint of lovely oyster flavor and could use that on a po' boy. I believe Paul Prudhomme mentioned oyster mayonnaise one time. I would like that, but raw sort of on a shell makes me a little nervous.
4: Yeah, I agree with you. Oysters aren't aren't my favorite, although I will say that all the food in New Orleans is great, and I think they've got a... uh, uh, There's a place called Acme Oyster Bar, but I I like the po' boys there.
1: Yeah, I third the oyster thing. I think somebody had me try one of those oysters with Tabasco sauce, and it was probably one of the most disgusting things I've ever eaten, and it was all because of the slimy texture of it. I agree, if they could make it into a potato patty type thing, perhaps.
4: Yeah, I've I've had them fried before, and I used to tolerate that, but the the slimy ones, uh, no thank you.
1: Maybe, Michelle, you want to talk about the next book?
0: Yes. Um, the next book that we're going to read, um, it's a book that actually it has been on a lot of different lists this year. Um, it's, it's, it's gotten a lot, of, a lot of publicity, and I decided to try it, and I, I really thought it was absolutely terrific. Um, the title is The Hate You Give, and U is not spelled out Y-O-U. It's just the letter U, so if you're typing in the title on board, I would type the hate and then the letter U and give. And the author is Angie, A-N-G-I-E, Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S and the DB number is 87441 I'm just going to read the annotation because the annotation actually is pretty good Um, when 16 year old Star Carter witnesses the fatal shooting by a police officer of her childhood best friend Khalil she is afraid to speak out but remaining quiet and safe is difficult with rising tensions between the police and the community. And it was published in 2017. So it's a very recent book. Um, and I thought it was it was really interesting because it gives you a lot of different points of view. So it's not just one point of view. You get a lot of points of view in, in the community. Um, so hopefully you'll all try it. Um, it's 11 hours and 21 minutes is the reading time.
2: Again, the what is the DB number? And I think that would be January 5th, Friday.
0: Yes, that is correct. It's Friday, January 5th. Um, we always meet the first Friday of every month. Um, and the DB number is
3: 87441.
5: That sounds like a really good book. I, I like
3: books like that. Yes, it does. It sounds great. I look forward to reading that. I haven't heard of that one before.
5: Excuse me, is the re- uh, program officially finished on the recorder
6: here?
1: Time to stop the recording, even though we can all stay on and talk more if we like.
5: Absolutely. I'm sure I, Michelle and Sherry would tell you the same thing. You
6: can talk all night. It sounds like a great discussion.
1: And uh, But I just needed to stop the recording, so I shall stop it.